What is up? You're listening to the Three and D podcast, and I'm your host Justin Lewis. You can find me on Twitter at j underscore timberfake underscore. And finally, I didn't even realize it that we hadn't spoken in the month of December. Uh, but my my co-host Ben Hogan uh, at not the golfer on Twitter is is back with me. Um, it's just tough when our schedules don't line up with two kids and then working the Grizzlies games on different nights and then. Really, if there's a Monday night game, uh, a home game, it's it's a no-go for us on the schedule. So, Ben, I'm glad that we're back together. Yeah, man. Happy uh, happy holidays. I know it's uh, 23 weeks into December, and we're almost at Christmas, and I don't think we've done a show since, what, Thanksgiving? November like right 29th after, is what I see. Yeah, right after Thanksgiving. I, I filled in when you, were, uh, when you were out. I had Sean on, and then uh, you've done – some work solo so it's been kind of touch and go yeah i guess that's just uh part of it when we were men of many hats right yep yeah yeah we well, got time today though so yeah yeah yeah. a lot of that a lot has happened since we spoke but we're going to talk about the immediate because you know we've had sean and we've had joe on uh, to talk about the stuff that's happened since then but um if i'm not mistaken you were in the arena for this these last two games in the two game losing streak yes yeah that that's uh i'm not the reason don't blame me (laughs) (laughs) no so um you know it's we had said on this podcast when ja originally went down that we expected him to miss about 16 games we were off by four and we would have been okay with an eight and eight stretch well they they went 10 and two um and you could argue that they should have been eleven and one or even twelve and zero, based on the way the games ended up playing out. Um, but it's it was quite the stretch. And then I, I think I texted this to you yesterday. It it was completely on script for the Grizzlies to drop the first game that John Morant came back in because it just made too much sense. It's like ignore the the extra motivation by the Thunder uh, after they got smacked by seventy three last time we played them. And then the return of Giddy and SGA and Derek Faber is like, it's a totally different team. Um, did it not just seem like it was coming? Like that, that loss last night was predictable? Yeah. I mean, Sunday before the game, I saw Ja out on the court and I tweeted out, you know, oh, Ja's out here. He looks good. He's knocking down half court shots. He even did a nice uh, highlight reel dunk. Uh, he kind of, you know, he, did the bounce catch and, and, and slam. I just tweeted that out and, you know, I got people saying, yeah, you know, they're excited. And then I got other people like, hopefully this doesn't mess up the offense and all this stuff. Like people already started going in on, well, hopefully this doesn't stop the Grizzlies from winning and all this stuff. So people already kind of had that mentality, like, well, he's going to come back and chances are it's not going to be as good as it was with him out. And I just think that's very, wrong and short-sighted and it's just kind of one of those things where you got to realize that you know they were trying to figure out how to play without John helped when they were playing teams that weren't at full strength as well and uh now this team has to figure out how to play together again I don't what is that the fourth or fifth game total that John Dylan have played together I mean let's keep that in mind too Dylan wasn't with the Grizzlies at the beginning of the season they got Dylan back and then Ja goes down so this team really hasn't played together that many games this season, even though we're more than a quarter of the way into it. And, and not even just this season, John and Jaron together, period, just haven't had much time. 
to to figure out the chemistry. Like obviously the off the court chemistry for those two is is fine, but like you've got two big time scorers and Ja and Jaron that don't really know how to play together on the floor. And that was evident last night. Um, I'm actually going to be working on a piece for Grizzly Bear Blues um, about how they can be successful with both of them on the floor. And one of the things I'm going to look at is I'm going to look at the paint touches that Jaron averaged uh, in that 12 game stretch. And then the paint touches that he had last night, um, because it felt like that Jaron wasn't there. Um, it, it almost seems like when Jaw is back and him needing the paint and his ability to, to navigate the paint almost relegates Jaron to just spot up shooting. And that's not what won us 10 games while he was gone. It was, it was Jaron, um, you know, in three games and even hit a three, but he was so efficient at getting to the rim and finishing over big guys. Um, do you, do you think that John and Jaron are going to be able to figure it out or, because they both need some paint touches that with Steven Adams, it's kind of a weird mix. I think they'll eventually figure it out. Um, I put in the report card, like Jaron had been, you know, against Sacramento, which, you know, whatever. Uh, but uh, he had been 0 of 7 of his last seven threes. I'm like, I don't need to be, I'm not worried about that. Because one thing that I noticed is like, Jaron was able to recognize when he had the mismatch. He was taking advantage of it down low. I mean, there was one play in which he altered a shot on one end, ran all the way down, and immediately bodied up Buddy Heel down low and just like took over. And we never, we didn't see that. We haven't seen that Jaron very often, but it seemed like he was just kind of getting comfortable going down low, taking advantage, going up strong, and realizing where the mismatch was. And yeah, job, ja, you know, he led the league in paint points. Um, for the longest time this season before he went down with an injury. It'll be interesting to see because I understand, you know, you don't want to clog up the middle, but I also think that's uh, kind of a coach Jenkins thing where maybe they need to look at Jaron being the five. If we're going to do that, I'd rather have Jaron at the five instead of having Steven Adams down there and then Jaron around the perimeter. Because if you're worried about clogging up the middle, you know, the guy that we don't need to take out of the middle, I think is Jaron. The guy that we need to take out may be Steven Adams. We may need to go ahead and move to the future now. Look at the future. I don't know if that's the answer, but, you know, if that's what they're looking at eventually, why not just go ahead and do it? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if um, if Adams was moved at the deadline. I think he and Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson are all prime candidates uh, to be moved uh, going uh, around February. Um, I, I think it's it's just a, an interesting dynamic of you you notice um, they don't they didn't have anybody to just fall back on in twelve games and and hope to bail them out like Eric has talked about a lot um, and when Jaw comes back it's it the offense just looked different it wasn't even just a defense last night the offense looked different too and. Like you said, they haven't really had a chance to have this starting lineup together, but maybe four or five games. So it's we got to preach patience with that. Um, and I think that's a good transition point, the patience piece, because as everybody knows by now, um, it's pretty much national at this point that a fan um, got under the skin of John Morant, uh, our 21, 22-year-old superstar point guard, who had just been uh, away from the team for uh, seemed like two weeks for health and safety protocols. So he was uh, 
you know, probably dealing with some, some depression, honestly, um, some insecurities as a 21 year old watching his team go 10 and two without him when they only had nine wins with him and, um, or eight wins. I don't even remember what it was. It might've been eight. And um, just for anybody to think that last night was indicative of how things were going to go with job being back, like you clearly just don't know basketball. Um, and those are the type of people that like, it bugs me that they get those seats because they don't deserve them. They're not true fans. They don't understand the game. Like I'll never sit in those seats in my life. And it would be like a dream come true for me as a, as a just diehard basketball fan to have those seats. And you got these morons sitting in front row telling Ja to go sit back down because the team is better off without him. No, if, if you really look at what happened in 12 games, the lineup luck that the Grizzlies had facing these other teams was insane. The amount of things that worked out in their favor with players going on health and safety protocols or injuries or rest, uh, the the schedule, the teams that they ended up you know playing. And then the Portland game showed you exactly why you needed John Morant because there at the end, Dylan Brooks had a boneheaded uh, possession that cost us the game, whereas you would have had uh, John Morant in there uh, to help, you know, figure things out those final two minutes. I, I take that back. The Dylan Brooks possession was um, in the Thunder game when we had John Morant and John never even touched the freaking ball. Um, but the game before that – In Portland, too, against Portland as well. Right, but the Portland one was in the final two minutes, you could tell we just needed that something else to make something happen, and we didn't have it. Right. And if you can't see that, that that's jaw for this team, then just don't come back to a game. Like, um, I think it's silly that it's getting as much run as it has. Um, I think it's going to be a moot point down the road because Jaw's going to sign his Supermax when he gets it, and nobody's going to really bring this up, you know, seven years down the road. Somebody might dig it up, whatever. Um, but I think in seven years, uh, Jaw's going to have matured to the point where he's going to be, you know, LeBron's level of, of – clout and fame and you just got to block it out like i get it that he's young and he's so active on social media and i don't think it was the the dumbest decision or the worst decision for him to just take a break from social media because um he can't let something like that affect him because if you're going to be a superstar in this league you're going to hear far far worse than what he heard last night well, when I, when I heard that that happened, I mean, my mind immediately went to there was a couple that were Thunder fans sitting courtside. They had an, one dude had an SGA jersey on like they were very obviously Oklahoma City Thunder fans. Now, I don't know if they're the ones that said it. I don't know who said it, obviously. I mean, I don't know if Ja would say something like that if he recognized that somebody was wearing a opposing team's jersey. But it could also have been something that was just like, you know, he's hearing things, he's hearing things, and he just kind of heard that in the – and, you know, he didn't see who said it. It could have been one of those instances. But that's where my mind immediately went. Maybe it was them. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But, yeah, like you said, he's a 21-year-old kid, 22-year-old kid. He – this is one of those things that, like, you got to deal with. You, you're you going to have doubts in your mind about things, and especially when your team goes 10-2 and two and, you know – chances are he may have even rushed back to get back because he wanted to be back with a team. That's his space. You know, that's where he wants to be. He wants to be with the team. He wants to be on the court with the guys. He genuinely likes playing with all the guys. It seems like they all like to play with each other. And I just think it's dumb. And, but we've also seen Jaws, one of those players that 
when something like this happens, he plays with a chip on his shoulder the next game, and he just comes out and he just tries to prove people wrong. And so maybe that'll be good, especially since they're playing Golden State. You know, that, that's a huge game for him to come out with a chip on his shoulder and trying to prove people wrong. And when John tries to prove people wrong, he doesn't really, like, force things. We don't – you know, we see sometimes with guys that try to take over games sometimes, and they just make boneheaded plays and mistakes and everything. And John's not that type of player. He seems to come in more focused when he's trying to prove somebody wrong or try to prove something. And I think that that could be good, but also John wasn't hundred percent. You could tell he liked the explosiveness that we've seen before. He's just getting his legs when he was on, you know, when he was out for a couple of weeks in the safety protocols, he couldn't probably work out or do stuff or run or do things like that. So he's getting his win back as well. So you got to allow a few games before you can start saying anything at all about like, well, they're not figuring things out. I mean, they are figuring things out, but still, it's like we have to get 100% John Morant before we can start worrying about other things. Yeah, and you know the mental side of it as far as just trusting his knee had to be there too. Like, Jaron talked about it when he came back, just the ability to finally trust his knee. I'm sure Jaw's terrified of, of doing something crazy on the knee and it hurting again and him being out and missing more time. So that's going to be in there. And he – Look, him and Jaron were the only two, like, positive players in the starting lineup last night anyways. Um, so, it's not like J- Ja played all that bad. Like, his teammates, some of his teammates were really bad in that Thunder game, and that's not his fault. Uh, I think there were some decisions by the, the coaching staff that were made and weren't made that really cost him the game as, as well. But, yeah, you, you just got to give this team some time to gel. They've built a good little cushion um, that 10-2 and two allows them – some mistakes going forward um but it does seem quite on brand for them to drop this game against oklahoma city and then go into golden state and beat probably the best team in the nba um that just it's a memphis grizzlies thing to do um you know play down and play up to the level of your opponent um i'm gonna transition you to a to a stat you ready yeah all right i've pulled up over the last two nights, the last two games, the amount of passes made by a player on average per game and amount of passes received by a player per game on average. This offense is predicated on ball movement, player movement, and all of that. There's no room um, for the one-on-one stuff. Like, you got to run the offense. And with the talent that we have, you got to run the offense. You don't have the hero ball guys, right? And I would say that you would probably agree that the 12 games without Jaw was because they ran the offense, right? Right. Okay, so here we go. Um, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven guys I see that have played in these last two games. Of those 11, four of them – have received the ball more times than they actually passed it. So it's impressive that seven guys pass the ball more times than they actually receive it. And that's, you know, getting the rebound and passing it, um, getting a steal, passing it, that kind of stuff. Um, Could you guess the four guys that receive it more than they pass it? Uh, I'm going to go the two with the, the initials DB. I'm going to go Bain and Brooks. 
uh, maybe Tillman. And mm, having trouble with uh, Melton? No, not Melton. I don't know who the fourth uh, – Conchar. How about Ja Morant? Oh. So, in his one game back, he received 58 passes, but he made 49. I mean, I'm, I get that. I'm uh, fine with that. Outlet guy. He's yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. You get the rebound, you look for your point guard. 21 assist points created. Okay. I'm fine um, with that. Yeah. And he had 15. He had, so he's average. He had eight assists last night, but he had 15 potential assists. So his team just screwed him. Yeah. I mean, um, they were missing shots that they don't normally miss. Right. So we're in agreement. We're, we're, we're fine with that number, right? Yeah. So Desmond Bain um, received over the last two games an average of 50.5 passes and passed it 47.5. So only a three pass difference. I would I'm- say I'm fine with that. I was surprised that that's that small difference because I mean, Bain, he, he gets rebounds sometimes, but there, you know, there are games where he gets two or three rebounds. And he's not passing out and you know, he doesn't get a steal or anything. He's more catch and shoot guy, which I'm fine with. Right. Yeah. He is the lowest on the team beside Xavier Tillman in assist to pass percentage. Kind of strange that a lot of his passes do not go for assist. Um, as much as they want him to be the secondary point guard, uh, yeah. he, he only averaged 4.5 potential assists. And that's fine because he's your spot-up shooter, right? Right, and he's like he's cutting to the rim. So when right. he's catching the ball, he's looking to score. Yeah, so then Tyus Jones in his one game, he was plus three. He made three more passes than he received. DeAnthony Milton, four more passes uh, than received. Uh, Kyle Anderson was um, three and a half more passes and received Steven Adams was 11 and a half more passes than he received. So he, yeah. he receives the ball 17 times in the game. He gets 17 and a half touches the last two games. Well, um, I mean, he got 12 rebounds in the first half yesterday or first right. quarter yesterday. Yep. So, I mean, that's where he gets his touches and his ability to make those extra passes. Yeah. Xavier Tillman, six more passes than received John okay. Conchar, two and a half more passes than received and Killian Tilly one and a half more passes and received. So you've got Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks. Okay. Jaron doesn't pass the ball. <laughs> like, he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I just, and he didn't get many rebounds. So I was just kind of thinking of big men getting rebounds, pushing it out, you know, but he doesn't get many rebounds. That's true. But more of his passes go to assist in Desmond Baines by a small percentage, but it's still a thing. Um, so he, in the last two games, this is wild to me. In the last two games, has received a pass 24 and a half times. 24 and a half. The same amount as Kyle Anderson and De- and 10 less than DeAnthony Melton, guys that come off the bench. Seven more than Steven Adams. That's not okay. No, he just disappeared. He's got to have – and I understand that in the Portland game, he had foul trouble, so that's going to yeah. limit that. But in the Oklahoma City game, who was going to guard him? Pugashevsky. Even in Portland. I'm kidding. Who was going to guard him on the block? Right. right. Like, these are two games where Jaron was a clear, dominant mismatch on, on both sides of the ball, really. And he got the ball 24 times. And he – and I guess I'm fine with this ratio for, for a big who's a spot up and a big that you want to 
you know, catch on and make a post move or catch and drive. He had 18 passes to his 24 and a half receipts. So a minus six and a half difference. Okay, whatever. But it's this next one. <laughs> your, your, your favorite guy. <laughs> oh, man. Can you guess the difference? Is this on average or total? On average. Uh, I'm going to say minus eight and a half. <laughs> Double it. Minus 16 or 17? He's minus 16 and a half. Per game? Per game. I, I'm I'm not surprised that he had the, the the largest difference, but I'm surprised it's that much. But, I mean, I, we were talking last night, you know, the first quarter, the, Grizzly, the, the ball was moving last night, and then it just stopped. And I said the seeds were kind of planted Sunday night yep. to this. The yep. ball wasn't moving Sunday night. And people were saying, well, Jaron didn't do anything or Desmond didn't do anything. They were off. Well, they didn't. They, Desmond Bain's a straight shooter. He has to get in rhythm. If you don't pass him the ball to get, let him get shots, he's not going to get in rhythm, and you're going to end up with the shot you had at the end of the game to tie. Yeah, so was it the Portland game or the Oklahoma City game where he came out red hot in the first quarter? That was the, uh, that was the Portland game. All right. No, 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 no. No, that was the Oklahoma City game. It was the Oklahoma City game because both him and Dylan came out. Like Dylan was really good in the first quarter. D- yes. Bain was really good in the first quarter. Yes. They both knocked down. I think they each had at least two threes in that first quarter. And then Bain, it almost like he didn't get the ball again for a while. And because now I just bet Dylan Brooks or Desmond Bain first bucket every game, and it cashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took it too. I, the last, the last, uh, it was the Portland game. Uh, put a unit on Desmond Bain and a unit on Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks hit, and you make up your money for the Bain unit and plus some. And it's same as yesterday. Or yeah. Dylan Brooks hit the first one again. Yeah, easy money. So here, here's my thing. I, I I am now settled in a in a spot that I am permanently going to stay, and that is trade Dylan Brooks. No more of let me see if he can become who he – no. because And here's why. I, I was assisted. I was, I was moved in this direction the last two days by other people, which is wild because I've, I felt like I was the, the guy on the extreme end of it. And I, I was at a team Christmas party for our uh, basketball team, and one of the coaches' um, husband, we had the Portland game on, and it's me – and him, the other assistant coach, and one of the dads were in there watching the Grizzlies game. And Dylan did something wild, and I I heard this guy just go off. And I said, hold up, wait, you don't like Dylan Brooks? He's like, dude, I can't stand him. Every time he touches the ball, I just get pissed off. I'm like, oh, there's more of me out there? And he's like, dude, I'll send you a contact list of people that I know that can't stand him. I'm like, dude, just give it to me. But I need a place so I can go let this out. Um, and then I talked to somebody close to the Grizzlies. And basically, my I just asked a question, am, am I nuts for thinking that he's just not good for this offensive system because the ball stops with him too often? The way that we score points on this system is the ball moves from side to side um, quickly and, and we get good open shots. That doesn't happen with him. It just 
the, the numbers are here that they, they don't, they don't happen. Um, and I get the response was your eyes don't deceive. He's a legend in his own mind. Um, the problem is that when he is actually in the rhythm of the offense, he's, he becomes good. But then when he becomes good in the rhythm of the offense, he then thinks he's a superstar and then just has unlimited heat checks. Um, and I'm, and then I, I talked to somebody on the national level last night after the game. Um, Cause we were talking about the John Morant thing and we kind of transitioned. Um, and this, this is a guy who loves, loves, loves Desmond Bain. Um, and I basically just said, really we just need to do with Dylan what we did with Valanciunas and Grayson Allen and that is move him out to give those shots to the people that we want to be around and to to develop and this national guy was like yeah that that has to happen he just he he doesn't fit offensively what this team is trying to do and I'm like I am vindicated I'm justified like I'm on cloud nine that like I thought I was alone and what what bothers me about the Brooks biggest fans that are out there and it's not all of them is that there's no accountability on their end for when he is bad. It's, there's always an excuse for when he's bad. There's never a man. All right. Dylan was bad that game. I'll be the first to say, okay, yeah, Dylan looks good right now in this stretch or Hey, Dylan had a good game, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's never on the other end. Like they just go, that just goes dark. It's it's quiet because I don't know. So I, I text you about this. If if you've ever been a basketball coach or been a basketball player, there's these glasses that are made by skills. Um, and at the bottom half of the glasses, is, they're like blinders. So you can't look down while you're – like if your head's straight ahead, looking straight out, you can't see the ball while you're dribbling. It's, it's to develop your dribbling skills without looking down at the ball. I feel like Dylan Brooks fans watch Grizzlies basketball games like that, half blind and blind to the things that you don't want to see. You know, you don't want to see yourself dribbling. They don't want to see the negative parts of Dylan Brooks, so they just they just block them out. They're blind to them in the game, and then they come on there. Like, he, he scored – yes, he scored 37 points against the Trailblazers, and I get the fact that if he didn't score 37 points, that it probably would have been a blowout. But do we know that? No, we don't because – Well, who was he guarding? Well, from – I was corrected on that because I said that he was torched for 32 points. But – Somebody came out and said that when they were when he was actually guarding him the last two games this season, Lillard was six for eighteen shooting. So while that was his primary matchup, he obviously didn't right. have him the whole game. Right, um, I get that. I'm just you know right, but that's his primary matchup. And so for me, like Dylan's value is not guarding point guards. He gets torched by them constantly. The Donovan Mitchells, the Steph Currys, the Damian Lillards. He can't guard the point guards. Or the shooting guards. His value is get Paul George, get LeBron James, get Kawhi Leonard, these bigger guys that he can be physical Jimmy with. Butler. Yes, get those guys. It's not working putting him on those guards. That's where you're you have to trust Desmond Bain to develop as a defender, or DeAnthony Melton's gonna have to play more minutes as a primary defender. It's, it doesn't work with with Brooks, but he's such a ball stopper on offense that you're you're cutting like there's not enough basketball for Desmond Bain, John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Dylan Brooks. There's just not. You got four guys in your lineup that you throw. Let me tell you that you got three in your lineup. I, I I want sixty shots out of Morant, Bain, and Jackson on a nightly basis. Sixty. And that ain't happening when you've got Dylan Brooks taking 25, 23 of them. 
and then only hitting nine of them. Like it, I, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done, and I get, I get, you know, blasted about it. You know, from people on Twitter, people at GBB, or said they're tired of me talking about it. But you know what? I, this may be the last that I talk about it because I'm laying it out there right now. Like he's got a good tradable contract. Um, let's let's move him and get another wing. Um, that doesn't demand the ball the way that he demands the ball. Just get a guy that can catch and shoot and play some defense. Like, find me somebody like a Mikhail Bridges. Obviously, we're not going to get him, but right. somebody that plays that role that doesn't need the 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 rock, but when he gets it, he can do something with it, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've always said I'm I'm kind of on the fence with Dylan. I'm not going one way. I'm not buying, you know, buying property on DB Island, but I'm also not like not visiting type deal. Um also, I don't want us to be the podcast that just bags on Dylan all the time. You do that enough. So, right. But my, my, my thing was like, you know, I mentioned it earlier. Why are we blaming Jaron and Desmond Bain for Sunday night's loss? Like, yes, Jaron was in foul trouble. I get that. But Desmond Bain, again, he's got to get the ball. You know, he's one of those guys that, you know, if he doesn't get shots up and he's taking shots, you know, not as frequently as he needs to, he can't get into a rhythm. And the reason is because the ball was stopping with Dylan. I mean, we knew that heat check was coming in the third quarter. I believe it was in the third quarter when he just jacked a three. It was air ball. Like, it wasn't even close. He air balled another one last night. Yeah. And we knew that was coming because he made two or three shots in a row. And that's what you get with him because you know it's coming. And he thinks he can just, like, you can kind of tell when he's doing it because he gets, like, the look in his eye is, I'm about to try and take this dude one-on-one. And if, you know, you catch the guy off balance, he's just going to pull it from wherever he is on the court. And most of the time, it's not a good shot. Like, I see the pros and cons with Dylan, and I know that if Dylan's bad, we don't need him in the game. Like, we don't need to try and go back and forth on, well, you know, we know what Dylan can do, so we'll just keep him and give him a longer leash. Like, he should have been closing the game last night, I don't think. No, he shouldn't. And I, and I heard that today, actually. You know, last year, I'll, I'll give it to everybody that wanted to argue that he was a necessary evil. Bain wasn't, you know, what he was yet. We needed Dylan to be out there, and you you took the trick-or-treat that you got out of him. That's not the case this year. He's not a necessary evil. You've got enough talent now that you can trust that you don't need somebody out there doing dumb stuff like that. Um, I had somebody text me just, like, irate last night when Dylan – airballed and then coach Jenkins didn't say anything nor did he take him out of the game like terrible decision and and then but I mean did Jenkins draw up the three the three-point play for Dylan Brooks to fade away out of the corner uh, like when you've got one of the best if not the best three-point shooter in the NBA right now and Desmond Bain you're going to draw the play up for Dylan Brooks fading in the corner is that Jenkins or is that Dylan going to the huddle after the fact and said, give me the ball? Like, you know, what, what was that? And the thing I like about Dylan though, is the fact of his, you know, his mentality and he can get the crowd riled up and he does have, you know, that dog in him that every team needs to have if you're going to be competitive. But I'm just wondering also like, when is his temper going to cost the Grizzlies a game? I believe he's he's on pace or close to it. Like he's picking up a tech like every other game. I think he's leading the league in text per minute and yeah how long is that gonna he's he, there's eventually gonna be a time when she costs the grizzly the game because of his temper 
I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet because, you know, it, it can happen like in the first minute of the game or it can happen in the last 30 seconds because you never know when it's going to happen. And, you know, in a tight game down the stretch, if he thinks he got fouled, he's going to go off and it's going to happen. It's eventually going to happen. And well, I get it, you know, players have temper, but it just seems like he's a little bit more vocal this year than he has been in years past on trying to get foul calls. Yeah, and I, I think the part that's the worst too, and I think Joe Molinax kind of pointed out and has started to see it some, is the double-triple negatives. Um, and I've texted Sean Coleman about this. I would be happy if he didn't make a turnover or an air ball or a forced shot on one end and then turn around and foul on the other out of right. frustration. Like, he compounds bad stuff together. It's not spread out. Like, it's – he allows teams to go on these runs because of his bad moments. Now, like, like you said, I, I don't want us to be known as a podcast that just bashes Dylan Brooks. And I'm going to try to leave this here uh, tonight after this episode. Uh, but I, I, I want to say this. I understand why people like him. I do. Um, I, I get the energy and the never quit and the dog and the hustle um, that he brings. As a matter of fact, I, we had a parent meeting uh, with a, uh, parent today about you know their they believe that their their child was a dog and needed to be on the court more because of what they bring to the table uh, with that mindset and like I I get the value of of that um, but I don't I don't think that in an attempt to develop guys that we have in an attempt to win ball games that a raw raw guy should be getting thirty five minutes a game uh, shooting twenty five shots when you're uh, seven foot like budding star unicorn only got like 12 shots and he wasn't in foul trouble in the Oklahoma city game. Um, it Jaron should never be fourth on the team in shots. If he's not in foul trouble, that's just, it's, it's not okay. And um, I, I just wish that there was a way that Dylan could be reined in and fit into a role um, that benefits him and the team. Uh, but it doesn't seem like right now that's going to be the case. And if if it's going to continue to be like this, then that's fine if everybody else loves him and what he brings to the table on those ends. That's just not what I value in a basketball player as a coach. That's not what I value in a basketball player as a fan. Um, and that certainly not as a fan of the team um, that I love dearly. Somebody somebody tried to call me out and say, well, you can't hate a player that, that plays in your team. Well, tell that to everybody that hated Chandler Parsons. Just because oh. he had, just because he had bad knees, um, Rudy so, Gay. Yeah, Rudy Gay. Like this is, this is nothing new. It's just because he's the guy on the roster that has that that rah rah in him, like Tony Allen or Zach Randolph. People are still stuck in, in loving that kind of player. Um, I have to tell you, I don't know how much playing time Tony Allen gets in today's NBA. Um, while Dylan's a little bit, well, not a little bit. Dylan's a lot of a, a lot better scorer um, than then Tony, I just I just don't care to have it at the expense of shots away from Jaron Jackson or Desmond Bain. No, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, Tony Allen is the reason why the Grizzlies lost to a playoff series, I think. I mean, you no. have a guy out there that can't score. In the the Warrior series. Game. Yeah, they're not guarding him, and they know he can't score. And, you know, that that cost him. And, yeah, I don't I don't know how many minutes that a guy like Tony Allen would get in today's NBA. He was, he was great for the time because, you know, that was – the grit and grind, and every time you know the Grizzlies score eighty something points and win, it's like, oh, 
getting back to that grit and grunt one. No, I, I don't think that's coming back anytime soon to the NBA. I don't think a team in the NBA can win like that uh, nowadays, at least, you know, at a, at a clip like the Grizzlies were, uh, you know, 10 years ago. No, and I think Joe nailed it too. Dylan is so much like Tony in the fact too that both of them are far more valuable to the Grizzlies than they would actually be somewhere else. Um, now, I think Dylan probably has some value. Um, I, I think there would be plenty of teams that would like to – like the Lakers would take Dylan Brooks in a heartbeat, and he – would he fit into his role there? I, well, he you know, dropped their average age by like four, four years. <laughs> um, I think plenty of teams would look, would want and covet Dylan Brooks um, at this point in his career compared to the, the Grizzlies version of Tony Allen. Um, but Because even then, Tony's value was greater in Memphis – because they made it work with him than it would have right. been anywhere else because he couldn't score. Um, but, yeah, that is that is going to be all you hear from me on this podcast on Dylan Brooks unless something crazy happens um, or we go on some stretch where he's just really bad and nothing's changing. But if he comes out on a, on a scorching stretch, that's great. I'll come on here and I'll be happy to, to say that. And um, I, just for me, I don't, I don't see it happening. Um, ben – we got a tough road game, road stretch coming up. Uh, and you've got the Golden State Warriors and then the Phoenix Suns and Sacramento Kings. You would expect to walk away with one win. Is it yeah. possible? That, is it you think it's possible for us to snag two? Um, I think it is possible. I mean, we've seen over the stretch, and you know, we've seen it before. There was a minute where I think the Grizzlies were the, the Warriors' only loss in the season. So, um, yeah. They can beat the Warriors. They can hang with uh, Phoenix. And let's be real. Who knows what the way this COVID stuff's going? Like, we don't know who's going to be playing for who by the time the Grizzlies play them. And we don't know who's going to be with the Grizzlies even. Like, it's, it's kind of like everything's up in the air. So, I'm not going to go ahead and chalk in a one and two or a two and one or anything like that. But I think it is possible that uh, next time we talk on the podcast that the Grizzlies have gone two and one. And again, I think it's very possible. Yeah, I do too. Um, I'm not, you know, holding my breath for it, but um, they've they've proven us wrong really all season. Um, yeah, I mean, they won in Utah. They won in Utah. Um, yeah. So I will end it with a bit of an announcement. Um, I put it out on Twitter around lunch today, uh, but I have officially been brought on to BasketballNews.com as a um, freelance contributor. So I'll get to write about other teams in the NBA. And then I will also be an editor in training, uh, learning how to edit AP style, uh, which is not easy. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll get to work with some phenomenal talent. Uh, Nikias Duncan, uh, Mark Schindler, two of the newer guys over there, but Alex Kennedy and Spencer Davies and, uh, then you got guys like James Posey's there, Eton Thomas, uh, Troy Brown Jr., an active player, actually contributes uh, to them. Then you got the podcast like Rex Chapman, uh, Dishes and Dimes, um, just a lot of talent over there. And I am humbled and uh, pumped to learn and grow over there. All of my Grizzlies content will still be at Grizzly Bear Blues, though. So you are stuck with me for the time being. Um, and uh, I think the podcast – podcast is not in danger of of going anywhere either so um yeah if you if you enjoy 
it's my stuff that's not about Dylan Brooks. You can find uh, that being expanded uh, to the NBA as a whole over at basketballnews.com. Congrats, man. I'm looking forward to uh, to reading all that and checking it out. And uh, well-deserved. Uh, I don't know about that. I think uh, has some fortune uh, played out in, in my favor. Um, so I'll, I'll take that fortune and, and run with it and, you know, see where it leads. Um, hopefully it and leads then, to me getting some game coverage and being able to come hang out with you in the arena. I mean, all you need is to get the foot in the door. Once your foot's or it's up to you on whether or not you just kick it down or what you do with it. So, I mean, it's the first step in it. So congrats. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, uh, Ben, I hope you have a, uh, a merry uh, Christmas. I hope uh, the family stays healthy through these holidays and um, Santa brings you everything that you want. You as well, man. Just, uh, just a happy, healthy holiday is really all I'm asking for this year. Yeah, I hear it. Uh, well, Ben and I should be back together next week after the Phoenix Suns game uh, on a late night episode. Um, might have a beer or two in hand. Uh, during that, uh, if not a Red Bull to keep us up, who knows? Uh, for Ben, I'm Justin. It's been another episode of the Three and D Pod.